Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven." For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I told Father Luke I'm as excited about this sermon as I have been one in a long time, just because I get to be with you, uh, my people, and my people. <laughs> I realize that uh, some of you may not know me. My name is Jake Stum, and uh, I'm so happy to be here with you uh, tonight. Um, I love our song of preparation so much. It's one of my favorite songs probably ever written. Uh, my oldest son loves it more than me. He's in the process of getting a tattoo sleeve representing the song. So if you really love it, you can get some advice from him and get a cactus on your forearm. <clears throat> so imagine with me a few scenarios. Scenario one, you see a homeless person at an intersection with a cardboard sign asking for help. If you're like me, you feel so conflicted every time you pass someone like this. What, what should we do as Christ followers? I mean, we can't deny that we're called to care about the poor. But what does that mean? There are ways for this person to get help, especially in Cleveland. But that's going to take a lot of work, both on their part and for the advocate or the advocates around them. Giving them money could ultimately keep them trapped in an unhealthy cycle of poverty. And then how, how did they get there on that street corner at that moment? Where's their family? Who are their friends? How did those relationships deteriorate? Is there hope for that person? What would a true biblical approach be in this situation? If you could say something or if you pulled over and said something or if you wrote a letter to this person, what would you say? Scenario two, You begin to see the real true problem of systemic racism. You begin to see that entire groups of people have been significantly oppressed in America for many, many years. You begin to see it right here in Cleveland in all of our systems. And once you see it, it's overwhelming. 
But what do we do? How do we handle this? It's such a complex problem. What are some action steps that we can take as Christians? If you could write a letter to someone or if you could express how you feel or what you want to do about it, what would you say? Scenario three, you know someone who just lost a child. The child died of disaster or disease and the family is terribly devastated. What do you do? What do you say? Why do some people get healed and other people don't? If we were to speak openly and candidly with these families, what would we say? Scenario four, to be completely vulnerable with you, I feel like I have seasons of fairly extreme spiritual poverty in my own life. I just get in my own head and I get a bit lost and discouraged. And I have to depend upon people like our pastoral staff here, the Lukes, Peyton and Dale. For years, Dale has been my spiritual kind of father, maybe uncle. Yeah, we'll say uncle. He's so faithful and content and peace-filled. And I often ask myself, how do I get there? Why is this something I struggle so deeply with? Why is there such a gap between me and them or him? Does the Bible have stuff to say about this? I would argue that the entire New Testament is one massive letter that addresses not only these, but these types of scenarios. A letter from many different authors inspired by Jesus' life and teaching to groups of people who are poor or oppressed or grief-stricken. And the passage today is the same. It's, it's a very easy passage to explain, but it's a very difficult passage to accept, especially for us in the USA at this moment in history, mainly because we're among the wealthiest, least oppressed people in the world. So it's almost impossible for us to receive and understand a message like Luke 6 unless we've been truly the ones on the underside of power. So let's talk about this quickly. There's some sort of sports game on tonight, I think. <clears throat> but first, will you pray with me? Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations, meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Luke 6 is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And this section is similar to Matthew's Beatitudes. <clears throat> It can be viewed as Jesus' attempt to help the disciples view the world accurately. Tell them what attitudes to have, how to think about groups of people and about how they're going to navigate the, the world that they're in. And along with many parts of the New Testament, this is Jesus speaking to a group of people who were oppressed and marginalized, suffering and miserable, sick. Uh, he's trying to frame for them a new worldview. Uh, and I want to look at this passage again just in a few quick sections. The first section is Luke 6, 17 through 19. It says, And he, he being Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place. And that line, I just love that. I wanted to write my whole sermon about that line, but it would be making the scripture say more than it does. So I decided not to tonight. <clears throat> but Jesus could, came with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. I really love this description. If you can imagine this scene in your eyes, I believe the author is intentionally trying to paint a picture of what heaven will be like. And again, I don't want to make it say more than it does, but it certainly seems like this is the case where Jesus comes down to a level place. The crowd is made up of all kinds of people, the disciples who represent those close to Jesus. And then there were people from really far away. 
There was the healthy and the sick and the poor and the outcast and the oppressed. And Jesus begins putting them all on his same level ground with him, healing the sick, delivering the oppressed, including the foreigner. And what a beautiful picture. If this is what heaven is like, then count me in. So Jesus lifts up his eyes and sees this scene. He sees the diversity of the crowd and he begins to address his disciples, but it's in the company of all who are listening. And he begins to describe two groups of people, a group that should be encouraged and hopeful and a group that should be cautious or warned. And when Jesus describes these two groups, it would have really flown in the face of everyone in the crowd. It was absolutely the opposite of everything that that culture imagined. It was a total upside down way to view the world. So let's look at the two groups of people. First, the group that should be encouraged or hopeful. In Luke 6, 20 through 23, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophet, uh, great in heaven. So the next group of people, the ones that should be cautious are warned in Luke 6, 24 through 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. The poor, the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated, blessings on them. Not that there's anything virtuous about being poor or hungry in itself, but when injustice is reigning, the world will have to be turned once more the right way up in God's justice and kingdom to come and for God's justice and kingdom to come to be birthed. And that will provoke opposition from people who like things just the way they are. So there's this consistent theme that verses like we are examining today have in common. And the theme is this, that justice is on the way. And his name is Jesus. That Jesus is coming to right the wrongs. And I believe when these early authors wrote this, they believed this was going to happen very soon, not in the very distant future. And when he, when he does, everyone's going to be shocked at who Jesus lifts up and at who Jesus brings down. There's coming a day when these major gaps between groups of people will be absolutely destroyed. The extremely poor are going to get to experience the richness of God's goodness. Simultaneously, the very rich are going to get to be humbled in some sort of mysterious way. That the very sick are going to get to experience healing, while those who have had health are going to somehow mysteriously understand those who have experienced sickness. The groups of people who've been oppressed are going to experience restoration and leadership, while the oppressors are going to be brought down and learn a beauty of servanthood and humility. And I don't know how all this happens. I'll leave that to brilliant people other than me. But I really believe the Bible would have a lot to say about those four scenarios I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. Scenario one, I think, would say, Jake, there's coming a day when the differences between you and that person begging on the corner are not going to be there anymore. But why wait until those days? How can you figure out how to close that gap now? 
think scenario two would say there'll be a day when there won't be such a massive difference between oppressed people groups and the powerful. The kingdom of God won't allow for that. But why wait until that day? How can you close the gap now? What's a small way? Scenario three would say to the person who's experienced deep, deep grief, you're going to eventually experience joy in proportion to your grief. So for those who have had to grieve the most deeply on earth will have the opportunity to experience joy more deeply than most in the kingdom. But why wait till that day? How can we bring people, how can we help people experience less grief and find bits of joy now? And scenario four would say to people like me who struggle with faith and trying to understand God that one day there'll be no more mystery. There'll be no more uncertainty and we'll be face to face with God. But why wait until then to help people through seasons of deep questioning and wandering from their faith? This is the kingdom. This is what I believe the earth, the the summary of the New Testament message is, is that Jesus came to earth. He upset the entire worldview of culture. He promised that the gap between the haves and the have-nots would eventually be dealt with in a new kingdom. And he offered himself as the prototypical example of this king of the world stepping into human skin in a level place, thus shrinking the gap between heaven and earth. Then upon his death and resurrection, completely tore apart the separation between God and man, then gave the church the mission to continue to shrink that gap until the new kingdom was, a real, was realized. Thy kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we keep taking this mission very seriously. May we, Mission Cleveland, all of us, begin to understand our role in this mysterious prayer. Your kingdom come, let your will be done in my sphere of influence as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. My own thoughts betray me. Breathe life on my bones. For this desert is Speak truth to me.